Good afternoon, podcast listeners. This is Rob Plouffe. Welcome back to Mid-Michigan Bowling News, the podcast for bowlers in the greater Flint area and the state of Michigan. Okay, welcome to podcast number 17. It is June 23rd, 2020, um, and I have a special guest joining me again for the third time in a row, Mr. Bob Tubbs from Davison Bowling, my best friend in the entire world. And we're going to talk about more bowling stuff for the next hour. But uh, before we get into it, um, we are still in stage four, or whatever you want to call it, of the coronavirus pandemic here in the state of Michigan. Um, in the lower half of Michigan, the bowling alleys and gyms are still not allowed to open. Um, so we are still struggling with no bowling in the greater Flint area. And uh, there was rumors that July 6th could be the day that Bolinelli's could open back up and that could still happen. Although today, Governor uh, Whitmer said that she is not ready to open things up just yet. So it may be a little longer than July 6th, but I think it's coming. I think the Bolinelli's are coming. There are rumors of Limiting the amount of people that could be in the bowling alley, maybe 50, um, which doesn't uh, bode well for a business, uh, especially someplace like uh, Richfield Bowl that has 48 lanes. And uh, if you only allow 50 people in there, it doesn't make much sense for them to open. So we got to hope that our governor opens things up here. Um, the numbers are going down as far as the coronavirus uh, infections and Genesee County, Saginaw County, so things are, are looking up for us, and hopefully we can get back to bowling. So, um, once again, welcome back to the show, Mr. Bob Tubbs. Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm happy to have you. Um, I just told you before we started that uh, our last two podcasts are my most listened to out of the 16 that we've done up to this point, so <laughs> obviously you're a good guest to have. Either that or I have a large family. And... Uh, <laughs> That is the case. You do have a large family, um, but it is uh, it is always great to sit around and talk bowling. Yes, it's a lot um, of fun, especially with both of us. And I think we have a lot to share with people, and we're going to share some more tonight. And we're going to start off this conversation by talking about the coronavirus. We touched on this at the end of our podcast the last time, but I want to get your feeling on. It's been almost two weeks since we did our last podcast. What's your feeling on how is this going to affect high school bowling in the fall? Well, um, the good news is, is that we're a winter sport and that the official start of the season or the official will be around Thanksgiving. So as far as how the schools are going to open, how they're going to deal with it, how they're going to work their way through their fall uh, sports schedule will dictate a lot of how things are going to be handled in the winter session. Um, the key thing to high school bowling is probably tournaments. As you and I both as coaches, we put a lot of emphasis on our teams competing in tournaments and that there is an incredible amount more to be learned from a tournament than there is from a meet. Uh, meets are very quick, couple of bakers, couple of games for score, Everybody comes in, everybody goes out, everybody goes home. But when you have a tournament, it's it's usually an extended qualifying with some with some uh, you know extended match play. 
and usually those tournaments usually have very full houses, very tight quarters, and lots and lots of people crammed into very small spaces. So again, the good news may be that because we're a winter sport, a lot of this may play itself out as we head into November, December. But the overriding factor is that there's a possibility of a rehash of the pandemic as we head into the fall season, which is flu season. And we all know how viruses uh, thrive in those seasons. So there's a lot that's up in the air. There's a lot to be determined. Um, I've heard discussions about the possibility of uh, meets being more localized, where um, you might see Kersley hosting Swartz Creek and at the same time at uh, Richfield and at the same time Flushing hosting um, Holly out at, out at Colonial at the same time instead of all the schools bowling in the same center at the exact same time. That will allow us to spread out a little bit and allow us to avoid some of the packed numbers in houses. Um, that stinks. That doesn't speak, speak too well to, well, the... Stinks the, for us, for our area, because the, yeah. that's become a very important part of the Flint Metro Bowling Conference. I think the Saginaw Valley Conference mm -hmm. does the same. Um, the, the competition to have everyone together is, uh, it's definitely what drew me to high school bowling. Oh, yeah. Um, it would also, it's going to change some of the, the house schedules. Now, I'm not saying they're going to that, and, and please don't quote me as saying that they're going to that. I'm just saying that it's it's something that they're considering. Um, but it kind of shoots tournaments in the foot because you can't have all these teams in for tournaments and you can't have them all in the house at the same time. Um, and then... you know. With the, you've got a, a single lane and you've got a seven-man team with two coaches and then you've got seven to 14 parents standing behind that pair. Um, that definitely blows any six-foot radius uh, differential between people uh, right out of the water. It just doesn't work. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how the fall season starts. Are we going to be playing football games in empty stadiums? Are we going to be playing in limited stadiums um, with you know some kind of... Uh, uh, spaced out seating. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see as June becomes July and July becomes August. Hey, good news today. Major League Baseball is going to start July 24th. Yes. We're going to get some baseball. <laughs> A little different uh, avenue, but I mean, if we can get back to some sort of something normal, maybe it'll help, help out the bowling uh, if we could start doing that as well. Well, it's, it's interesting that... Um, in the current in the current condition, uh, our country is in with the pandemic, and with the protests and with the riots. It's funny that the '68 Tigers. Um, there was a lot of unrest in the city of Detroit and around the country, and baseball kind of healed Detroit in '68. Um, everybody came together to root for the team, so. Um, Maybe that could happen again. Maybe history, if history repeats itself, it'd be wonderful. Uh, we have an extremely young team. Um, so let's let's talk bowling still. Okay. Um, I've been back to work uh, since the day after Mother's Day, and I have to wear a mask and safety glasses for 10 hours a day at work. And so does everyone else that's going back to work. Um, I'm hearing rumors that we may be wearing masks to bowl. In the fall, 
Uh, what you feeling on that? Well, the pros tried it. I don't know if you've seen uh, uh, Troop's uh, webpage, but um, uh, Gabby Troop's son, Trent. Uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Kyle. Kyle. Yes, thank you. Uh, Troop tried it in one of the tournaments and basically bailed on it. He said he can't do it. Um, uh, my daughter has a tournament coming up in Wisconsin this weekend, and they're requesting masks but they're not enforcing masks so um it'll be interesting to see what happens the field is limited it's limited so that they can i think they're only gonna have two bowlers on the lane uh, and this is a tournament that in the past has had up to nine people on a pair so they're definitely scaling things back i'm, I'm curious to see how it works um could but, be interesting uh, this uh trying times for the sport of bowling for sure this could be interesting to see my, my personal feeling is if I can bowl and I have to wear a mask and that's the stipulation, then I'm going to wear a mask and I'm going to bowl. And I think most of the kids are going to think the same thing. They're not going to like it, but if that's the rule, then they'll do it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, like I said, I'm hoping that as we get through the front part of the school year um, and as we head into the, um, the winter our winter sports season, uh, you know, um, our basketball players going to wear masks? Um, yeah, good question. So, yeah, Football players, I don't think make, they can. Um, I've seen, I don't know if you've seen, but there's some pictures out there of helmets that they've extended the, the blind shield for the helmet down over so that there's a plastic mm -hmm. guard mm -hmm. between the, their, their mouth. So um, it's something the NFL is toying with, and you'll probably may see it with high school and college football as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's going to be the basketball. It's going to be interesting. Here's something else. Uh, the Kersley school board meeting yesterday, they were discussing busing students, which if you're into sports and you need a bus ride, I know for sure Owasso uses a school bus to come to their meets. You guys have schools in the Saginaw Valley that do the same. Yes. Um, the school buses are only going to be allowed to have a limited amount of students on it. Mm -hmm. Kersley is actually planning on 15 kids riding a bus. Jeez. You can't put two bowling teams on a bus <laughs> and send them to a meet then. No. Um, so things could get interesting as far as that goes. Yeah, like I said, there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack um, for this sport. And, like, and again, like I said, you're going to have your spring sport or fall sports. You're going to have tennis and golf. And you're gonna have football, and you're gonna and cross country, and these same teams, you know, are gonna have to make the same concessions. They're gonna have to figure out how they're gonna get where they're gonna get, and whether they're gonna be involved or not. Now, I could tell you, I was in Wisconsin uh, three weeks ago, and masks were almost invisible. There was there was very few and far between. But they've been open four weeks more than us. So in four weeks, are we gonna find Michigan? in the same boat. Um, I was just in uh, uh, Mackinac City last weekend. And again, masks were few and far between. Now, employees of companies and stores were wearing them. But the guests and the customers and the people walking in the street, they were few and far between. Mostly, only the senior citizens were wearing them. And I think for their own protection. Yeah. 
Okay, let's uh, switch gears. We got Quite your a idea. serious subject. <laughs> we got your idea on the uh, coronavirus, and I've heard enough of it on the news, so let's switch gears. Yeah, let's talk let's about talk fun about, stuff. Let's talk about some good stuff. Um, so I think there's something really, really cool that we do in the greater Flint area for youth bowlers that there really isn't any other area that does this. Um, although I would like to see it catch on. It was, it was not our idea. It was not my idea. Nope. It, it was um, started by uh, Sean Klug, uh, TJ Yipe, and Chuck Hawes uh, back more than 11 years ago now when they bought GLC bowling balls over on uh, Fenton and Hill Road area. And they actually asked us for some input on it. They started the Greater Flint Area Youth Hall of Fame with the idea that we could start recognizing youth bowlers for their um, accomplishments as a youth bowler mm -hmm. and only as a youth bowler. And I, I just thought it was one of the greatest things ever. And after a year or so of it, uh, GLC went out of business. Sean, yeah. Sean moved to Florida. Um, TJ kind of got out of the bowling industry. Chuck Haas retired and... I picked it up and ran with it. Mm -hmm. uh, myself and Scott Fisackerly kept it going. Um, I asked you for some help, and I begged Ben Roof from A-Frame Awards to help us. And uh, Ben basically said, you can make this work without me. And we did. We figured out some ways to keep this thing going, and it's, it's really, I think it's something really special. Uh, unfortunately, this year, we can't recognize anybody for being inducted into the youth hall of fame because there is no youth banquet because right. we're not allowed to get together but um let's talk a little bit about the greater flint area youth hall of fame give me your thoughts what do you think of it um where do you think we can go with it uh do you think it's a great thing for youth bowlers um like i said this is going to be our 11th year doing this and we've been inducting two, three, four. One year, I think we did five. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think of it? Well, um, it definitely cut some new air turf. I mean, uh, uh, MGMA, uh, I think, did a Hall of Fame uh, a while back, but I don't know if they're continuing. But I don't even know if they're even continuing it anymore. Um, and we we got out ahead of some of the uh, some of the other. Areas which you would expect them to, to actually do it probably before us. Um, but the Flynn area has been so strong in youth bowling. I mean, you and I are a product of the Flynn area bowling. If it wasn't for the people who went before us, and could you imagine walking into a bowling center and watching Tracy LaRose and, Tra and Jim Tuber and Rick Muncy and Dave Gussie, Bull Juniors? Um, <laughs> uh, Mike Mayfield and that crew um, when you and I were probably you know pushing bone balls around the living room uh, yep. you know um, they were they were the they were the the youth bowlers Tracy Green um, that group out there you know bowling as juniors uh, would have been quite a quite a feat or quite a thing to see um, and then you know our generation and it kept feeding itself and Jerry Matthews' work and Loretta During's work and Linda's continued work, um, Barb McRae and uh, so many others that put work into the youth program 
and created this feeder program for the whole Flint area that turned out some of the some incredible uh, bowlers. Pro bowlers. Uh, and pro bowlers. I mean, if you Tom look at Smallwood. The, Tommy Smallwood's accomplishments. Andrew Anderson. Andrew Anderson's. Those guys um, bowled in the Greater Flint Area Youth. Right, programs. went on to be pros. Um, Tyler Green won junior gold, and nine youth uh, 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 amateur national championships. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the country with nine youth amateur national championships. It's just the the bowlers that came out of this area, and that's just off the top of my head. I mean, we could you know, uh, Taylor Davis is, an, is on Team USA. Uh, currently, um, and we've seen numerous girls from this area. Uh, Aaron Brown wins a national championship. Um, that was then, sweet. And then uh, conference champions and Brooke uh, Wood was Miss Bowling. Brooke Wood was Miss Bowler. Hannah. Uh, Hannah was Miss Bowler. Uh, we saw um, Amari. Jordan Nunn was Mr. Bowler. Um, Tyler Green was Mr. Bowler. We saw, and we had the young man from Geneseeville. Who was a, the first? I think the first D four, Mr. Bowler. Um, his name escapes me right now, um, but um, it's Courtney's Courtney's brother. Yeah, and we've this incredible uh, the incredible accomplishments come out of this area. It almost begged for us to create a Hall of Fame, and when with these accomplishments, and and, and fortunately we lost out on the coverage we used to get in the papers for the youth bowling because the adults would get their coverage and the youth would get their byline. Um, and it just bled into how do we recognize this incredible amount of talent, um, state singles champions and state team champions and, and conference champions and tournament champions. And uh, I mean, you go back to the teams that went to nationals under Linda and we were one of the last groups to do that. And I said in my Hall of Fame speech that we stacked the plaques like cordwood. And people would ask the parents and they would ask the coaches, where do you get all these kids with all this talent? Um, and it was just this incredible fraternity within the Flint area. And this incredible amount of talent, I mean, from Lapeer and from Flushing and from... Uh, yeah, it was Grand Blank and oh, I mean, yeah. it was just everywhere. These kids, uh, Davison, and these kids just came out and they bowled in the travel leagues. The travel, I mean, people, the, the kids today would, if they walked into the travel league back then, we had twenty teams, twenty teams on Saturday on Sunday morning, twenty, you know, plus your your Saturday morning leagues. Um, four on a team. And four on a, yeah, too, that's so. a lot of bowlers on your travel league. They haven't been able to get half of that since then. And we used to have. Uh... Two. Yeah, there was an upper league and a lower league. Upper league and lower league of the travel league, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Linda, Linda and Bob and uh, Loretta was involved with a lot of that. Um, yeah, a lot of people had a lot to do with uh, creating something really, really special here in Flint for bowlers. And I think that uh, the high school bowling has continued to show that right. this is definitely a <laughs> hotbed for youth bowlers no doubt about it and i think college coaches are starting to see that now oh yeah and they're they're coming to flint to recruit there's there's a lot of interest in in what's going on in our area and, and who it is i've got people who are always interested in, in the davison girls they they asked me about 
the other girls in the area, you know, you know, and I talked to coaches. I've attended a lot of the um, of the um, TurboTax uh, with Kaylee and Ryan uh, four or five years in a row. And, uh, you know, we had kids there and we would go around and talk to the coaches and I would tell them about other kids, you know, and kids that were coming up. And then when I was with Kaylee and, at, you know, with Whitewater, there were kids that were coming through the through the program. And if they were in the nursing program, I would talk to other coaches. I would talk to coaches in at uh, uh, Missouri, Central Missouri, and other and uh, other places like Valparaiso and um, and Marysville, and and tell these coaches uh, Youngstown that we had girls in our area and they wanted to do nursing and, and Whitewater didn't have nursing, and they, they might want to look at these kids. So um, and some of them are showing some interest. But uh, it's, so back to the Hall of Fame, the, it's a wonderful thing because it gives us an opportunity to recognize some of these kids who've had these incredible youth uh, experiences. It allows us to get them some scholarship money in their hands, especially the ones that are continuing their education or continuing their bowling uh, into, into college. And then, you know, the piece that you guys established early on of recognizing someone who's outside the gap. Um, yeah, our rules are you have to be at least a senior in high school, so you got to be at least 17 years of age to be nominated for the Youth Hall of Fame, and um, you can be no older than 26 years of age. It's a nice and, window. And um, yeah, there were people when we started this thing, we created this, we, we talked about people like you. Like Bob Tubbs, the very first uh, youth bowler in Greater Flint to ever bowl a perfect game. And uh, Bart Rutledge, who was the very first youth bowler in Greater Flint to shoot an 800. Yep. And uh, Rory Caliquin, who was just absolutely amazing. Oh, yes. And uh, he was older than 26, so we, we wanted to be able to recognize people like that. Oh, yeah. uh, Sarah Hillier was one. Yep. Uh, Stephanie Roof was, was another. Um, even uh, uh, Sarah Tuber. Yeah. Um, so there were plenty that, yeah, there was, we need to recognize. And we've had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, we need to recognize those people as well for their youth accomplishments. Not what they've done since or in the adult leagues, but what they right. did as a youth bowler. And some of them, um, you know, multiple all-star appearances, uh, MJMA titles, uh, state titles, um, opportunities to bowl. Uh, we had, I mean, Sarah Hillier made Team USA as a youth bowler and she bowled um, represented the United States in tournaments. I mean, we, we're, we're quite excited about the opportunities that um, Taylor's had, but uh, you know, here was a girl who did it, you know, when, before it was, you know, a lot of people didn't even know she did it Yeah. Um, because we didn't have the, we didn't get the proper advertising. They might not even know it until they hear it here. Yeah. Sarah bowled for team USA in Panama, wasn't it? I believe it was. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And um, I mean, those are some incredible, and you, don't, and you don't see that on TV. So you're either going to hear it by word of mouth, or, or in today's world, if it was today's world, you'd see it on, on YouTube or something like that, or on bowl.com. By the but way, side note, them. just so people know this, Sarah Hillier and Stephanie Roof, Kersley girls, if Kersley would have had a bowling program back well, then, they would have been well, phenomenal. Well, you know, we've said it before, <laughs> what, what if you and I and Spishek and Jeff, yeah. Jeff Johnson and... Sean James. Sean James were, I mean, we would have been a tough team to beat. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not just saying that, but we were. We would have been a tough team to beat. Uh, Davidson would have had a 
pretty darn good team too. And we probably uh, had Bart on the bench. <laughs> Just kidding, Bart. Um, Scott Welch, Joe Pito. Oh yeah, Scotty Welch, Joe Pito, um, Ree Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's in that crew? Um, and then uh, what about uh, Tracy Green? Of course, he went to the Scott sixteen. Scotty Becklick. Uh, uh, Mr. Freeman. Oh yeah, Junto. Uh, uh, his. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a, definitely a good crew that over Davidson there. That team would have been tough. I mean. Uh, okay, we then, got we got sidetracked. <laughs> so we we really deviated here from the youth hall of fame. But so. but it's 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 a, it's a good thing and it it was needed. Now we need a home. We need a place, whether we whether we go to the bowling association, ask for a wall, or if we find a bowling center to volunteer some space, but we need a home and we need to, and we need a sponsor. I think as are some a couple of things that you and I have to talk about for the future, that if you we get, get somebody to to pay for the trophies, and and I have somebody in mind, and I think you and I should sit down with them. Yep, you've got some good ideas there. Um, and we that have way, traditionally, can, uh, A-Frame Awards has donated the awards for. The banquet, um, when the when the youths are inducted into the Youth Hall mm-hmm. of Fame, and A Frame has done a fantastic job with the awards. Oh yeah, uh, ben, John and Ben and, and John and uh, their entire family have been supporters of this Youth Hall Youth Hall of Fame from the beginning, um, and uh, both of John's kids are <coughs> are in the Youth Hall of Fame. Yep. Um, I take that back. Ben is in the Youth Hall of Fame. Alexis. Uh, is eligible. Yeah, just just hit her eligibility. Yeah. She won't be long for her. She she had a great career and she's extending that in collegiate. So, um, so a little uh, side note so everyone knows this: the Youth Hall of Fame in Flint. We have an we announcement. Give, uh, we do. I thought we had an announcement. Do oh. we have an announcement? No. Uh, oh. <laughs> we give we give a two hundred and fifty dollar scholarship to anyone that is inducted into the Youth Hall of Fame, and. Um, that money comes from uh, tournaments that uh, Mr. Tubbs and myself have ran high school tournaments through mm-hmm. the years. Um, we, we have gotten donations from the Flint 700 Club, from the Flint Women's 600 Club. Um, anybody that's willing to donate to the scholarship fund, we will gladly help out with that. But um, we've ran tournaments. We ran a middle school singles tournament that donates money to the mm-hmm. Youth Hall of Fame, which is part of that. A $250 scholarship that um, is given to whoever's inducted in the Hall of Fame. Now, I realize it's not a lot, but um, if you're inducting three or four people a year, you're talking about a thousand bucks. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, A Frame has been very generous in donating our awards. But if you were to have to pay for that stuff, uh, yeah, it's going to end up being a lot. And we usually pay for tickets for the inductees right. and/or their families to go to the banquet, um, which Linda puts on a great banquet every year. And I believe that's the right place to recognize the kids. Oh yeah, and, and at the and, youth banquet, it's a long night, and the fact that they carve out a little time for us to to do this presentation. And and guess what? I think today is June twenty third. I think today was the day that it was supposed to be the youth banquet. You're, you'd be real close. It'd be sometime this week, probably yeah. based on how it would have been today, tomorrow, or Thursday. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, no no youth banquet this year. So. Um, okay, I think we're done talking about the Youth Hall of Fame. Let's switch gears. So are we giving out scholarships for the 2020 year? We are. Okay, and did we Oh, that's the that? announcement you wanted me to make? That's, that's why I thought you were going to make an announcement there. Oh, we okay. Were going to have so here is our official announcement. Dun, da, da, da. Press release. <laughs> Greater Flint Area Youth Hall of Fame. We have not selected any individuals 
to be inducted this year because of the coronavirus and there is no youth banquet. But we are going to, in the next month, I'll say in the next yes. 30 days, we're going, going to sit down with an independent committee. We have seven applications to go through and we will let that committee pick. It could be no one. It could be one, two, three, four, whoever they pick. We will award them with a scholarship uh, starting this fall for whoever is inducted into the Hall of Fame. And then next year, next June, at the Youth Banquet, we will recognize them. Yeah, we'll recognize two classes then. Yes, we will recognize the 20 and the 21 class together. So that's the announcement you wanted me to make. That's, yeah, I thought. I thought yes, that. we are going to give away scholarships this That's year. great. And, and we'll announce that right here, right? Yes, On this it's podcast. official. Yes, uh, when we have our names. Yep. So we'll work on that. Yep. Okay, so we're going to switch gears a little. We're 28 and a half minutes in, so we're going to speed this up a little, Toby. Okay, we'll try. <laughs> um, I did a podcast on lineup dynamics. Mm-hmm. I got some comments. I heard that. Um, Bart Rutledge uh, commented on that one, and I think that he enjoyed that podcast, and he had some ideas about lineup lineups as well. Um, there's actually a... Um, there was actually a article in uh, Bowling This Month magazine about lineup dynamics mm-hmm. and who belongs in what position. So I gave my take on what a lineup should be. Let's hear yours and okay. let's let's hear what you think. Um, is it important? Is it not important? And give us your uh, idea on who belongs where in a lineup. Well, I did hear I did hear the podcast, so I did hear what you had to say. So. Um... There's a few dynamics that I was thinking about um, that are important to that. And too many times, um, uh, one thing that popped into my head is too many times I've seen what the leadoff bowler has done has bled through the lineup. And I actually had a talk with Isaac Dudla on this this season. And I said, pay close attention to how many times you hole in the first frame and two or three of your teammates right behind you hole. And how many times you mark in the first in, in your in the leadoff frame because he's in the one spot. He's my leadoff man. And how many times your teammates mark behind you? Oh, it's um, huge! It's huge. That it, it you're, they're feeding off of you. So that's why it's so important. And this is another thing we spoke to about uh, teammates and and how they react to each other. Um, that even if you don't complete the frame, which is you know strike. Spare is is a completed frame, a successful frame. A hole is not a not, but it can can be if it's a count situation on a split or a washout. But still, it's it's it, it, there's a feed off of that that'll, that'll affect the the whole team for the entire frame. So if you're so, leadoff is extremely important to me. Um, and I, I think, totally agree with that. I think back to the days where Don Hargraves bowled on Friday night. Don was the best man on the team, and yet he took the leadoff position not the anchor. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Tracy Franklin with Madden's often let off and Tracy, they call Tracy Haas because he was, you know, he was the big, he was the big kahuna. Uh, and he was the lead and he was a man who could go out there and fill a frame. Um, so anchor is very important for bakers and bakers. That's, that's a, that's a, a little bit of a different dynamic. But a lot of the, but the majority of your pin count comes from when you get into the into the match play, and how that leadoff man, you know, gets your team started. So one has always been extremely important to me. Strangely enough, 
four is extremely important to me as well. And I've always said that my four has got to be able to relieve as much pressure on five as possible. To have five go out there and need to strike out to win a match is very exciting. And when they do it, it is very exciting. But it's but a boring win is much more fun than an exciting win. Heck when, yeah. <laughs> when four can go out there and fill the frame and make five's job that much easier. So one one is one is very important to me. Four is very important to me. From the standpoint of four has got to fill frames. They don't have to strike. They don't, they don't have to strike at all. But they have to be able to fill frames. And it's it, it's it's a place where I, these are the two places where I like to have my best spare shooters. One and four. Five. Obviously, you want to try to put your best bowler there. But sometimes your best bowler is not your best spare shooter. Your best bowler could be somebody who who strikes a lot, who has a higher average because they strike a lot. Maybe they do spare. Maybe they are a good spare shooter. Um, but it's and five is important. And it, but it's it's more of a prestigious position. It's more of a closer. Somebody who can mark when they have to. Maybe they don't mark all the time, but they mark when they have to. I mean, preferably you want them to mark all the time, and preferably we've had a lot. I mean, my top eight bowlers over the last 16 years have all been my anch- are all my anchors. I keep stats on that information. And B.A. is now my eighth best bowler after this season. Um, pardon me. And he was eighth, and the seven guys ahead of him are all the anchors that preceded him. And, you know, he, and he falls in line with all the rest, you know, with, with Joey and Chad and Matt and Kyle and Dylan and Brandon. So Brandon falls right in that order. And they were all my best bowlers. They were all, they were all my anchors. But almost every one of them had an opportunity to be a four or a one in their careers. And it's, and that, and that, that's kind of where we build it up. Are you saying in in their younger days they were a one or a four in your lineup? In their freshman years, and, yeah. And then um, as they got older, then they moved into the anchor I, position. Actually, to tell you the truth, the only one who might not be would be Kyle McGrath. And Kyle had a great uh, career and he had a fantastic uh, college career. And the only reason that is because his class followed Tyler's class, and Tyler's class was in, comprised one hundred percent of seniors. So it was just there was a watershed moment where we kind of rebuilt the team, and he wasn't the best bowler his freshman year, but he had the highest ceiling. And I looked at that year as a year, a growth year, and said we're going to use this year to prep ourselves for the following years. We didn't make states, we didn't get out of regionals. I think we finished fourth or fifth, and but we were building for the future, something for the future, and we made Cal anchor. And he may be the only one who didn't get a chance to be a four or a one. Uh, during his career, but all the rest had an opportunity to do that. I mean, even Chad was a was an anchor his freshman year, but when Matt Clark came in, you know, they they we, they uh, Matt went right straight went right to anchor, and then him and Chad uh, reversed positions at different times. Um, so you're reiterating some of what I said in my podcast. My feelings are the same as what you're saying. One and four are important. Five huge. five is obviously very important, but. Um, part of my reasoning for thinking one, one and four are so important was the Baker, the Baker games. Because if you can put those three together in the middle of a Baker game, you just talked about boring win. Mm-hmm. I love boring wins. Yeah, everybody loves a boring win. Because <laughs> um, if that in the middle of a Baker game, if they put that together, 
the other team's in trouble. Well, interestingly enough, um, we had we had a setup uh, like that uh, when uh, Sean Smithek was my assistant coach, and Sean had came to me. We'd had some close Baker games um, that let us put us into a position where we had to be a little stronger in match play. And Sean had said, "Why are we not running our last three, four, five, six? Um, and I said, "Well, we got to have that leadoff bowler in the right spot." And Sean said, "Wanted me to try it." He said, "Try this and ba- let's try it in Baker." He said, "I realize you're you're trying that that five or that four five one combination in the center of the lineup. You're trying to get ahead, but what if we what if we backloaded it?" And with that group of guys, it worked, and he hit it on the head. Um, I'm trying to remember who they who they were. <laughs> I think what it ultimately was was it was it was uh, BK Dylan, Brandon Craner, Dylan uh, MacArthur, and Kyle McGrath. Now these three all eventually turned into be turned out to be anchors at different times in their career. So you're talking you took one of those guys instead of having your be in the leadoff, you put them in the three spot. We put them three, four, five, but we only ran it that way for the Baker, and it worked for them. And we had we had more success on the Bakers than we had in the past. And Sean hit it on the head. And we moved Jacob into the leadoff for those games. Now Jacob was was the three, and we swapped him with with BK because BK was the was the younger of the three, and he was bowling. He was so we put him in the put him back. And I think we had Darga in the two. I'm not quite sure. Memory fails me a little bit. Um, but um, we had more success. But it, but it was kind of, but it deviated from what I, I preferred. But it worked. You got to do what works. You got to do what works. Yeah. So, as much as you say this is an A type and this is a B type and this is a C type and this is a D type and this is an E type one two three four five, there there are going to be opportunities where you where we in this case we use a different lineup for our bakers than we did for our match play. Just because of the Baker dynamic, if you ignore the Baker dynamic, you're going to put yourself in a hole, mm-hmm. and then oh, yeah. your boring win's gone. Now you've got the exciting win because now you need everything you can to fight back and win this, and you don't want to be in that hole. So, in this case, that dynamic worked, but it doesn't always work that way. But as a coach, you've got to try things, and you're going to get the kids, like you said in your case, the kid that you put in the anchor, and the kids to say, "I don't want to be anchor." They don't want it. They don't want the pressure. They don't want the excitement. They don't want. They don't want to be in there. Um, and you're going to get the kid who you put in the two, and is going to grumble. Mm-hmm. Now you're still part of the team. You're still throwing just as many balls as everybody except the anchor. And it's but just as important. They feel that you know you kind of buried them in the two. Yeah. If your lineup is that strong that this person you know, then you just got to say, listen, if we go to a tournament, and I loved your idea about what you do with your Baker tournaments. I don't do it that way, but I may try it in the future just to see how it works. But we would run our Baker tournaments, and we would use, similar to what you do, kind of a Team USA point system. And that was uh, two points for a, for a strike, uh, no, three points for a strike, two points for a nine spare, and then one point for a common spare. And then a count shot would be even, and then a lost count shot would be minus one. And we would kind of track the points through the bakers. I just make little notations on the sheet, and then if somebody seemed to get into a little bit of a rut, um, or we would substitute in their position. And sometimes we would just leave them, and sometimes we would adjust uh, accordingly. But when I would take kids to a tournament, my plan was to bowl everybody, 
And then when we were on the break, we would come back out with the starting lineup, but we would have an idea. I'd speak to my coaches. I'd speak to, to Sean's and to Kevin's and Michael's um, uh, and, and, and find out, you know, okay, who bowled well today? Who, who hit the shot early if they re-oil? Who hit the shot early that we want to play? Who hit the shot late? That we may consider for later on. Mm-hmm. Um, who 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 covered their ten pins? Um, and this is a lineup thing that I, I don't know why more people don't do. But I love having a lefty on the bench because a three ten split or a ten pin for a kid who's extremely good that's been been struggling with ten pin today or the washout for the left hander that three ten that ten pin that washout is an easy spare. Um, we had um, Ethan uh, on our bench this year, uh, Morway, and, and 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 I don't know how many times, you know, I would we would wash out, and I'd say Ethan, go make that spare, and he'd jump up there and finish the frame for that bowler, and then maybe even if it was early, finish the game, and you know, there's you, you get a little bit of psychological advantage because the other the opposing team thinks oh they washed out they're going to open and then the lefty jumps up there and cleans up that right hander's mess and they think that was the opportunity for us to gain a mark me that didn't happen and that kid's strong enough Ethan was strong enough to stay in the lineup and bowl out um, love having a lefty on the bench I love having a lefty in the lineup uh, for that matter but um, it's when you have an opportunity in those Baker games to Go with the highest probability, then you go with the highest probability. Um, you know, and if you have a lefty in the lineup and he washes out, then the right hander can come in and make the spare. Um, it's think, your job to fill frames. I think you're reiterating a lot of what I touched on in my oh, yeah. podcast about, uh, and I have a lot of the same feelings. Maybe went about things a little differently, but um, you're saying the same things that that I have. That, and you gotta you gotta try moving it around. Oh um, yeah. Because you never know what you're going to find. Nope. Uh, I found a leadoff bowler that I didn't know I had. I found an anchor bowler just this last season. Uh, Emmy Sturck was one that um, tried her in the anchor spot. And she was she was golden. Uh, the girl finished off our Baker 300 up there in Bay City for a tournament. That was exciting. I wish I'd have stayed. I always stay. And I, there was something going on. I had to get home Sometimes. for the girls' final. And I didn't stick around for it. And I heard your girl shot 300. And I so disappointed I missed it. Sometimes you uh, you find things like that, um, and and uh, I'll never forget that Baker three hundred game. That was uh, Megan Tim was in the fourth spot. Uh, that was a huge shot. She was really nervous and she went up and buried it. No <laughs> doubt about it. And uh, Emmy's final three shots were incredible. It was really cool to watch. But I didn't see Emmy as an anchor bowler until we started switching the lineup around in the tournament. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage coaches to try it. Uh, yeah. Don't don't stick with the same person all the time. Give everybody a chance. Let everybody experience it. Um, because, like Tubby said, some people can't handle it. Yeah. Well, sometimes you'll, you'll fall into it, too. And um, we were bowling. Um, it was Tyler Green's freshman year and Joey Hoover's sophomore year. And Joey was the top bowler coming back, so we'd given him the anchor position. Uh, to start the season, and we were about halfway through the year, uh, and I'm not sure where we were bowling. It seems like we were we were somewhere in the Detroit area, um, and in a tournament. And Joey came to me and he said, "It's time for Tyler to be the anchor." 
And I said to Joey, I said, then you go tell him. I said, it's your spot. I gave it to you. If you want him to have it, then you go tell him he, that he, he can have it. Um, they had a great relationship. Um, Tyler would get behind. Tyler would go up with Joey when he went up to bowl, and he would get, he would get down, you know, low, um, almost on one knee behind Joey and watch him throw the ball and watch where the ball hit and where it broke, and they would compare notes. And Joey would reciprocate, and it made the two of them stronger than they than they ever were. Um, the the biggest travesty in the history of high school bowling is that Joey broke his foot before those two could complete their their their, their job and bring a, a state team championship home uh, because it would have been uh, we were we were qualified first in everything we did that year every turn we were number one every turn we ran away um, uh, we, had, we had some match play difficulty um, in a few meets but I think it was because we were so good and we got everybody's best punch. But um, those, but you know, Joey came to us, came to me, and said, "It's time for Tyler to be the anchor." And when your team's strong enough in their ability, and know that you know, hey, this is what's best for the team. Um, that's that's awesome. And there were opportunities for us to reverse that back other times during the season. But you know, it's when your when your teammates can see it. And uh, they want the team to be the best it can be. It's pretty I mean, special. It's, it's a pretty special program. Yep. So no doubt um, about it. I've experienced that so too. So those 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 things happen, and it's great. Yep, I've experienced that with some of my girls' teams. Uh, girls come come and uh, just you know they're honest with you. They they want to win. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't matter if you're in the number two spot or number three spot in the lineup. If you win, it's all that matters. Now on the other side of that, when Kyle was anchoring, Kyle McGrath was anchoring, and Dylan MacArthur was in the fourth spot. We were bowling a match, and um, Brandon Kreiner came to me and said, it was his birthday, and his mom brought cupcakes to the bowling alley. And he said, since it's my birthday, you think I can anchor? And I said, well, I don't know. Let's ask the captains. So I said to them, I said, what do you think about Brandon anchoring? And they said in harmony, no. <laughs> and uh, um, So, um, you know, we, we had a little fun with that. Uh, but uh, it's... You, you have to have some fun with it, and you have to play with it a little bit. Now, when you get to regionals, when you get to state finals, you should have a pretty good understanding. I mean, let me quote Dave Kowalski again. Everything is preseason to you get to the regionals. Yep. Mess with your lineup. Change your lineup. Screw with your lineup. Do things you wouldn't normally do in Baker matches. When, you, when you're rolling an opponent and you've got an opportunity to change some things around. When Dylan MacArthur bowled his first frame, for Davison, he didn't have very good qualifying his freshman year. And when he came up for his first meet, we were a good three, four weeks into the season. And when he, and he came in as a bench bowler, and I brought him in to the second game of the of the, of the Peterson set. Um, we'd already bowled the two Bakers, bowled the first one. We needed to win this one to win, and I put him in the anchor. And the opposing coach thought I was giving up the point because I moved Kyle up. And I told Dylan, I said, if you want to stay in varsity, you got to win this point against a young man from uh, Bay City Central who was quite accomplished. I believe his first team on conference here before. Well, Dylan went out and crushed him. I mean, just just rolled him. Of course, I wasn't going to put Dylan back on JB, but I was having a little fun with him. Um, and I actually asked the coach. I said, "He said we even hiding that one." And I said, "You thought I was giving that point up?" 
<laughs> I said, we don't give anything up. Um, uh, I told him he had to beat him or he had to go back to JV. Um, but it was an opportunity for us to see what Dylan could do. And then, of course, Dylan goes on to his senior year, and, um, leads the team to the state finals. We make the Elite Eight. Uh, we get eliminated. The next day he comes in and wins state singles championship um, when, and goes on to bowl for um, uh, Indiana Tech. Um, and has, you know, has, has some great success. Uh, I remember at one point Tracy going, when are you going to bring him up? Uh, he deserves to come up. And I said, well, you know, he had this bad tryout, so we're going to have to, you know, ease him up. Well, once he came up, he never went back. And we knew that was going to happen. Um, but it, here it is. I mean, who's going to put a, a kid coming out of the JV team in the anchor? Well, you got to see what you got. And you got to see where you can go. I've lost some matches. Um just seeing what I could get out of people. And I've told the guys straight up, we lost that because of me. Um, I've lost 26 matches in 17 years, or 16 years, that's it. And some of them were because we put people in lineup and we went with them. And we just trusted them, even though they struggled. Sometimes you gotta do Sometimes that. Sometimes you gotta do it, because the end justifies the means. So, we've um, been to this. On that, same, his... on that same note, I'll make this comment, and then we'll move on to another subject because we're okay. already 49 minutes into this. But <laughs> um, I had a, a system that I've used for years that uh, my uh, first Baker game, um, whoever whoever the two uh, people who hold or got the lowest counts would come out and the other the, the two reserves would come in no matter what. And then uh, the first individual game... Um, whoever the two lowest games are would come out and no matter what my six and seven would bowl the second game. And I had told my team for years, I don't care if the match is on the line or not, six and seven are bowling. I don't care if we're, we're trying to win Baker game or mm -hmm. we're trying to win the match. Six and seven are part of this team. They deserve to bowl. Um, this was probably five years ago or so now. Owasso had us beat at Cherry Hill Lanes and... We were going into the final individual game, and I threw my six and seven bowlers into the lineup. And I had a couple parents run down to me and said, what the hell are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? And they said, you're giving up on this match? And I said, oh, hell no. I'll no. never go give no. up on a match. There's a big difference between the two things. We're going to win this match. And they're like, you're putting in your reserves. And I said, I don't care. We're going to win this match. And we did. Yeah. We came back and we won the match. So to your point... Um, you, you have to do stuff like that once in a while. It, I think it, it helped me gain confidence in, mm -hmm. in those kids. And it really, really helped them gain confidence in themselves. And it made the team really, really strong because they knew it didn't matter who was in the lineup. We were there to win. Mm -hmm. it, I wasn't throwing in the towel. Oh, hell no. Oh, no, no. There's a big difference between seeing what your team can do and throwing in the towel. There's yeah. no throwing in the towel. We're going to push them. We're going to push what we have in the lineup. We, we both, Our last match of the season, we, we didn't have an opportunity to win conference. And we were going for the win. And we had um, – Ethan was a senior who had gone was on the JV team for three years. And we brought him up as our seventh man for states this previous season. And I think he shot a 279 in the district's. Uh, best of the best. And I and I told him, I said, I think you threw your last ball in JV. So the next year was his senior year, and I think he was sixth or seventh on the team all year. And I told him, I said, you're starting today. I said, because you're a senior and this is your last tournament, your last meet. I said, but don't be confused. I want to win. So give me everything you got, every ball you got. And he bowled the, he bowled the 
uh, both Bakers, both full games. We went overtime, and he wasn't having his best day. But I left him in the lineup for the overtime, and he his mark in the 7th or 8th got us a lead, and we never could look back. And um, that, was a, that was a nice moment for him. But I, I didn't care. I didn't really care if we won or lost. I wanted to win, but we were going to either win with him, but we weren't going to we weren't going to win without him, because we made a decision for him to bowl. Um, and and we've had a few meets like that where we've just said, okay, this is what we're going to do: bring a, a four-year senior out of the op who was did his whole career in JV, and give him an opportunity to get his varsity letter and say, okay, you're going to you're starting today. Whether you stay in is up to you, and we'll see how far you can go. And um, you know, we we win, we lose. Happens. Happens. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, lineup dynamics. Uh, you uh, touched on a lot of the same things that I did, so that's good for people to hear. So, um, we are fifty-two and a half minutes in. We're gonna. <laughs> we're just gonna touch on this subject because we could talk about this for another hour. Okay. Um, so we'll we'll start talking about this. The uh, what I want to talk about is the MHSIBCA, Ooh, that's the Michigan help. High School Interscholastic Bowling Coaches Association, which uh, okay. you and I were both a part of. Yes. You, you still are. Still am. Um, you're a very active part of it, and I want you to talk about what it is, how important it is. Um, you are the current secretary treasurer. No, treasurer. Just Do we have treasurer? a secretary. Um, you're the current treasurer, and you have been for 10 years or more. Um... Strangely, it's been—I think it's been more than that—but I can't—I can't put put a pin in the exact date. I can't remember how long I did the website, but I want to say it was ten, at least yeah. ten years that I, I did the website. I got a year or two. I got a year or two on you, so it might be like thirteen. But so we were both active members of this fun. organization. It's a very important organization for high school yes. bowling. Um, like I said, we could talk an hour about it. So I'm going to cut you off after about eight minutes here <laughs> when we get to okay. an hour into this podcast, and then. I'll bring you back again in the future, and we'll talk more about MHSIBCA okay. and, and some other subjects. So go ahead. Give us what, what is it? Uh, the Michigan High School Interscholastic Bowling Coaches Association um, is the governing – it's not the, it's so much the governing body as the um, – MHSAA. The, recogni- the recognized uh, group. The Michigan High School Athletic Association encourages – each sport to have their own governing body of sorts and that governing body to be in charge of things like the all state selection, the all academic selections, the uh, coaches of the year. Um, and then, uh, in, in our case and in other cases, the dream team. Um, and you've got your division one, division two, division three, and division four. So we work with MHSAA, in governing all of their all of the state all the regionals and all the state finals uh and then uh, so the membership for the coach they're buying into being able to to use that tool to recognize their bowlers um and unfortunately or unfortunately at the at the division one area we have this ridiculous amount of participation at d1 and then it fades as you go down. D2, D3, D4 is almost absent. Matter of fact, um, they did a change in the selection of first and second team for all conference. For um, all state. For all state, sorry. For division one, two, three, and four. And decided to be the top 16 bowlers in state singles. Similar to what they do in tennis. 
Um, I've been told, I was originally told the same as golf, but I was told that not in golf, I don't have the particulars as to whether that's true or not true. Um, and golf, tennis, and bowling are considered life sports, according to MHSAA, so we're kind of lumped together. The um, At the Division One level, everything was fine. Division Two, Division Three, we had to go a little deeper because if your coach wasn't a member of the association, then you weren't able to get the award. So I believe they had to go like 30 bowlers deep in D4 to get that top 16. Wow. And that shouldn't be that those kids are missing out on those awards simply because their coaches didn't pay the $35 to be members. But there is an underlying support to the coaches within that, and that is the insurance rider through Michigan High School Coaches Association, which the each sport is underneath the umbrella of that group. And they provide insurance for $5 per season, which covers the coaches. So if the coach were to have an incident with a player or if something were to happen where there was a lawsuit or some kind of negligence, that that coach would be covered. Um, this is a very, That's a very delicate area about how girls and boys react to how coaches say, treat, mm-hmm. uh, treat them. Um, and there can be some sticky situations. And all of us who've taken the CAP classes are aware of how those are. We won't get into that in eight-minute discussion. But the Coaches Association is purchasing this insurance for the coaches, so it helps protect the coaches from situations that may be the reason why they don't coach in the first place. I want to be a coach, but I'm afraid of what might happen if I'm alone with a student and a student claims something happened that didn't happen. Um, very gray area, difficult area, but there's insurance there to help protect the coaches. The the awards, the education opportunities, the opportunities to share information, uh, and then opportunities for coaches to be recognized at the state level through Michigan High School Coaches Association, to be recognized through the Michigan Interscholastic Bowling Coach Association as Coach of the Year, or into the Hall of Fame, or the Century Club, um, and then opportunities for their bowlers to be recognized as all-conference, all-academic, um, and um, Mr. and Mrs. Bowler and the Dream Team. And also, $10,000 worth of scholarship that lots we give of, out lots of scholarship every, year. every year. Um, and the monies that are generated from that. And not to mention, the JV bowling tournament that is a state invitational. Now... The MHSAA will not recognize a JV state championship in any sport. So what they have encouraged us to do is have a JV state invitational tournament. And we can call that the JV state championships. But it's not an, it's not recognized by MHSAA, obviously. But we're the only sport that does that. Football, baseball, basketball, hockey, they all have JV teams. But once their JV schedule is over, it's done. Bowling offers this JV State Championships, and there'll only be one next year. Uh, we're doing away with Battle Creek. Oh, really? So um, the JV State Championships is actually something really special and, and uh, something that a lot of kids from, I know, Davison and Kersley and several other schools in our area look forward to. Yeah. And thanks to Dave Kowalski, there is scholarship opportunities for our JV bowlers as well yes. for winning the JV State title. 
Um, it has become just as much of a tradition at Kersley to be a member of the JV team as it is the varsity team. Oh, yeah. It's pretty Definitely. special. Um, bowling is one of the only sports that does that. So I will tell you one thing, though, for the upcoming season. Because they have closed out Battle Creek, I'm being told that each and every school will be limited to one team for JV States going forward. There'll be no more second teams. Yeah. And I know that's big for you. And uh, occasionally it was big for us. Yeah. But there, uh, but there, and there are some other larger Detroit schools that have multiple teams. But because we've already turning teams away, and now we had 20 teams over here in Battle Creek that now have the only option is to come back to Detroit. Um, uh, talking with Dave, he said, you know, they'll probably be, and when he says probably, it usually means yes. We're probably going to be doing away with multiple teams from schools. Each school will only get one team in the future. Hmm. Okay, so we're over an hour into this podcast, so I'm going to cut you off. Um, <laughs> we are definitely going to come back and talk some more about the MHSIBCA. It is an extremely important organization yes. of high school bowling in the state of Michigan. Um, we can talk some history. Uh, oh, the yes. next time we could talk about uh, maybe like Ron Tomasoni from the UP and how this all got started. Yep. Um, I do have plans to bring Mr. Jim Tuber in to do a podcast. I've already spoken to him about it. He's excited Wonderful to do job. that. Um, he's got a lot to do with high school bowling <laughs> in uh, the greater Flint area for sure. And uh, he's going to have a lot to add to our bowling discussions. And then uh, the plan is now that things are starting to relax and we can sit down with other people, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some kids in and do some podcasts with them. And I'm probably going to start with um, Megan Tim, who won the uh, individual state title this year for Kersley. So she is going to be a guest on one of our podcasts here in the next month or so. And first team All-State. Yes. And uh, her sister received a scholarship to go to St. Francis University in Pennsylvania. I'm thinking about bringing her on as well. So um, hopefully those opportunities will be out there for many more kids in the future. And... Um, Others that have uh, been very successful in high school bowling, been recognized in the Greater Flint Area Youth Hall of Fame, we're, we're going to continue this bowling discussion. So um, Bob and I find it very easy to talk about bowling. As you can tell, we're over an hour in. Um, it is uh, a, it's a pleasure to sit down and talk with bowling. Oh, yes, and definitely. It's better, it's, to me, this is better than uh, documenting it, writing it down, and People never oh, get to yeah. see it because uh, oh, people yeah. can listen to us, and uh, we like to talk. <laughs> yeah, but there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, I'm told that you're the only person that likes to talk more than me, <laughs> but I'm sure you hear the same thing, that I'm probably uh, the only person that likes to talk more than you. Well, I've been told your banquets run longer than mine, so we'll just leave shh, it at that. Shh, shh. <laughs> I've, cut, I've cut mine down. Uh, Hopefully dear. we can have a banquet real soon. We okay. Did, we had a banquet for our JV, for our seniors. Uh, to say an opportunity to bring them together to say goodbye because by the time we do have a banquet we're afraid that they're going to be moving on to other things in their lives so it was yeah. rather nice i'm looking for maybe the end of july we're going to be doing a banquet which was supposed to be march uh, 14th we were doing it i think um, but i'm hoping by the end of, end of july we can do one for kersley for the, at least the girls team i'm not sure what bart's doing with the boys um, yeah, take care of your own but anyways we're over an hour in, so we're going to cut this off. Thanks for listening to us tonight. Thank you, Mr. Tubbs, for participating again. Enjoy I will it. have you back again in the next month or so 
and again and again and again because uh, you're going to stay active in the MHSIBCA oh, yes. and high school bowling as unfortunately I am not. I have <laughs> retired. So um, you will have plenty to add in the near future. So thanks again for Talk coming. About that the other day. Thanks again for coming. I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for listening. And uh, we will do another one of these in a couple weeks. So have a great night. Bye-bye.